0: Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. We are the only podcast being produced by Syracuse University alumni for Syracuse University alumni. My name is John Boccasino, and I am the communications specialist in the Office of Alumni Engagement here at Syracuse University. I'm also a proud 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a broadcast journalism degree. My guest today is Lenny Garner, a director and a longtime resident of Los Angeles, a class of 1974 graduate from the College of Visual and Performing Arts, and he's got a great story to share with our alumni today. Lenny, thanks for meeting me up here in Los Angeles.
1: Well, it's my pleasure to be here. And uh, this is my first introduction to the uh, podcast, and I'm,
0: I'm very happy to be a part of it. You know, Lenny, I don't know if anyone's told you, but you have a really silky smooth voice for radio. You could do this kind of stuff if you wanted to. Yes,
1: I've been told that, and I have done some voiceovers, and I have taken some voiceover classes, and I'm uh, I'm not opposed to it, and uh, I will look forward to doing some more in the future. <laughs>
0: well, I think you're going to have a great time here on the podcast today, and I want to start with a little history lesson. Tell us why you chose Syracuse University. What was it about Syracuse that made you want to attend school there?
1: Well, first and foremost, I, w- I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which wasn't far from Syracuse, and I was a young football fan. And so I always knew about Syracuse University. And then, obviously, I was a huge fan of, of Jim Brown and, and Ernie Davis. And and I always thought that Syrac- I liked the way that the athletes, particularly the black athletes at Syracuse seem to be represent themselves and the way that the university seemed to support them. So that's initially it. I wanted to leave the state of Pennsylvania and go away to go to school without necessarily going too far out of state, or at least that would help to my parents. And then the third thing was I had developed an interest in drama theater uh a little later in my high school career and uh there were some places that i could not have gotten into with the i, I never performed theatrically when i was at school i and a group of uh, young quote-unquote radicals in high school we formed a theater group uh, and we did it went around northeastern pennsylvania doing a piece on open housing in pennsylvania the time, you know, there was closed housing, you know, black people could not rent in certain areas. And so we did a little piece, we were doing churches and community theaters and county fairs. And the reaction to that made me want to pursue this a little further. So Syracuse was one of the schools that uh, I, I went to, and I didn't have to have a full audition, I just had to, you know, explain my desire. And they looked at me and they accepted me. And uh, so those are the three main reasons. Initially, I went to Syracuse, and it wound up being one of the best choice for me I could have imagined. It was a great place, very supportive staff. Uh, Jerry Rydenbaum was, was the was the uh, the head of the department at that time, and very very helpful to me. Him and Leonard Dryansky, who was also there. They made me feel, even though I was sort of behind some of the other students in what I had done, they were very supportive of me, and they were talking about what I had to offer and how much I could grow, and they supported that. So it wound up being the perfect place.
0: What were your aspirations as far as what you wanted to study in VPA and what your career goals were that Syracuse could help you accomplish when Mm -hmm. you first started? Initially, I wanted to be an
1: actor. I think you know so many people want to be actors. I had sung a little bit in a couple bands in high school. Uh, I us to try to get a little, few bands going in. But initially it was acting. I really didn't know very much else about it. And so my introduction into that, even into the backstage and stagecraft, all of that took place at Syracuse. And all of that broadened my, my horizons as to, to opportunities. But also, though, Syracuse's program was primarily a thea- theatrical program. I did make a short film for Owen Shapiro, who's still there, doing it. <laughs> but uh, I knew in the back of my mind, I was also very interested in motion pictures and television. So, uh, but initially it was, it was acting that drew me into this, to the department.
0: What was it about your experiences at Syracuse that prepared you? You've obviously had a decorated career as a director. We can get into your on-camera appearances that <laughs> happened earlier on to give you some spotlight there too. But- um, the behind-the-scenes, what advice, what feedback did you get from people at Syracuse when it came to theater that you feel has best served you?
1: Jerry Reinbau was the was head of the department. Leonard Dryansky was teaching stagecraft. And Gerald Moses was the acting teacher. And I was in class very early freshman year. And there were some things that I, believe it or not, even understanding beats, what, what a beat meant for an actor when they say take your beats. That part of the process uh, was new to me. And all these other kids, you know, a lot of kids had been in every production in their high school since they were like in junior high. And and I will never forget when uh, um, Leonard pulled me aside and he said, you know, there's a lot of kids here that seem to be more advanced than you right now. He says, but the thing about that is a lot of these people have already peaked. They know what they know. They've done what they've done. Trying to move on is going to be more difficult for them because you can get locked into what you do, depending on how open you are. In my case, he says, I was like just eager to learn and open and wide open and had no ideas other than what I was learning and what I was producing and taking the notes that were given to me. And he said that was very valuable and that was freeing to me and it allowed me to uh, just be
0: open. And uh, and learn. It seems like you have a a knack for for telling a story, for for telling a story of people that need to be put out there to the masses. What makes a good story to you when you want to get signed up as a director? What are you looking for?
1: The first thing that I look for is uh, a good working environment Um, and a good story. I'm a comedy guy. This is primarily what I do as a director. My entire career has been comedy. I find comedies harder to do than drama. That's just my opinion. Uh, I think it's to make issues, take issues and then make them funny all the way back to the All in the Family and Norman Lear. There's a way that you can get people sometimes to open their mind a little easier when they're laughing at something than if it's always straight ahead, boom, you know, punching the gut, so to speak. But what I'm looking for is obviously something well-written, something that makes me laugh. Uh, I've been in productions. I've done a pilot where you're actually casting. If you're in a situation and you're doing a pilot, you like the story. Now you're trying to find the actors to fit that. That's a fascinating part of the job. You're trying to find people that inhabit the character that bring something to it, but that are also funny. But yes, it's it's. For me, it's got to be a funny story, something good, a funny story. If if the cast already exists, uh, it's got to be a cast I feel I can relate to. And and more so the producers, who the producers are, their style of working, what they're expecting from me, how much freedom I'm going to have to work uh, and develop ideas with the cast. Those are all big things.
0: When people talk about Syracuse and any, any student who graduates, It usually takes a break, someone looking out for them or someone's hard work getting noticed. What was your break? What was your story that took you from being a Syracuse graduate to getting into this highly competitive field?
1: Well, my break was something called the Assistant Director's Training Program. Uh, I went to school with a guy. I met a friend in Syracuse who was from Los Angeles, and the plan was I was going to move out here and get a summer job. His parents both worked for the school board, and I was going to get a summer job, be able to save some money, get my feet on the ground, start auditioning. That was the plan. Uh, When I got out here, the job didn't materialize, so I had to hit the ground running. I I didn't have a car. So it was very difficult at first. I did get to some auditions for a little bit. I, I didn't get an agent at that point. But uh, I decided I really needed to get myself together. So I actually took a job at the Department of Water and Power. <laughs> really? Is, yes. For a year, I took a job at the Department of Water and Power because I really needed to get some money. I came out here with $200 and a place to stay. That was it. And uh, during that time, somebody told me about something called the Assistant Director's Training Program, which... Uh, which I applied to, and, and the, the program is run by the Producers Guild and the, uh, and the Directors Guild. And at that time, it's, the program still exists. The program was invented because at that time, to get into the business and the production side, an assistant director or whatnot, it was usually all nepotism at the, up before that. So the program, when it first came into its existence in the late 60s, Uh, It was designed to try to get women and minorities, people that were not related, into the business, into into become assistant directors. So when I heard about the program in 1974, I applied, I took a test, and out of 1,500 people, they took in 15 that year, and I was fortunate enough to be one of the 15. Now, the other thing that used to happen when I was here, when I would go to these auditions, because at Syracuse I was studying theater, I understood sort of the theatrical auditioning process, but I really didn't have a really background at all into the television or, you know, motion picture business. And when I would go to an audition and walk into a studio, it was overwhelming. It was like walking into Valhalla, so to speak. This is something I, I was fascinated by them, and I was really kind of unprepared initially going in there. So when I heard about this program, that was the other thing that fascinated me because it was going to be a way to get inside the business and learn how the business worked. So when I got in the program, that became my break from that day forward. When I got in the program, the first day they put me in a van and they sent me out to location on a show called Mobile One And uh, from that day forward, I have been in the entertainment business ever since.
0: From those humble beginnings, do you ever just sit around and kind of pinch yourself, be like, boy, I can't believe I've been able to carve out such a good career and had some great highlights? Because it seems kind of, I don't know, to me... You seem like you're a very humble, kind of down-to-earth, laid-back guy. Does the success you've had ever kind of overwhelm you a little bit? Like, whoa, I can't believe I accomplished that? Mm, I think that I'm, I'm very thankful for the
1: things that I've accomplished. I'm very fortunate to have uh, to have had the success that I have had. I must say a lot of it also has to do with being around and good people that I've met along the way, having the opportunity to work with good people find supportive people to give me good advice along the way to be uh you know hard on me along the way to tell me things that i need to get better at and uh but yeah i, I look back and i realize you know it's been a it's been a great ride i mean i've been in the business i got in the i got in the training program in 75 uh I, which is what 44 years ago now I got in the director's guild as an assistant director in 1977. So I've been in the director's guild for all that time. And uh, yeah, it's, it is pretty amazing when you think about it because this business is, there's a a lot, a lot of people don't have that long careers. It it can, it can change on you. So I'm very blessed and I'm very fortunate. I'm very thankful.
0: Now let's go down memory lane a little bit. Some of the titles that you've worked on, your IMDb <laughs> page is quite impressive. Uh, you know, among the hits on here, Wings, uh, working on 33 episodes. You had experience with News Radio, with Sister Sister, the Wayans Brothers. The list goes on and on and on. Give us a synopsis. What are some of the shows that you're most proud of that you got a chance to work on?
1: Hmm, I can tell you the shows that I had the most fun on. Some of them go back to being a trainee. I was a trainee on streets of san francisco i was a trainee on rock for files which then rock for files i was a second assistant director on rock for files i was a first assistant director on rock for files james garner in my entire career is one of the most wasn't the nicest greatest humblest supportive uh actor director producers i've ever worked with so early in my career to be around people like that and see the way they operated and the way that they held themselves, the way they handled their crew, because it was his company, you know, Carl Malden Street, San Francisco, uh, uh, even Michael Douglas. I only worked with him in one episode. But just to be around people that have been around the, the business that long taught me a, a method of working, a way of treating people that was very important. Um Wings was a fantastic place to work. I did work on the movie Car wash which was a fantastic opportunity. And I worked on Miami Vice which was the first season a couple episodes in Miami. That was fascinating. that show was so huge it broke out so huge I was there when the pilot aired and it was like bam America's hit <laughs> uh, just I've got you know just shoot me some of the, I've worked on a lot of good shows I work with a lot of good actors I work with a lot of nice people. They're, they all can have their stresses from different times. But uh, in terms of my favorites, actually, I just worked on a show for Netflix called Mystery Iglesias. And it's gotten picked up again. Stars Gabriel Iglesias. Fluffy is his name. Comedian. He's great. He's done multiple, multiple mini specials for for Netflix. And before that, he was Comedy Central. And anyway, this is his show. Uh, it's a sitcom. I did We did 10. And he's got picked up for more. It's a wonderful environment. Sherry Shepard's on the show, uh, just great actors, Oscar Nunez, just a fun environment. I love doing what I do because of the fun environment. It's 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 a unique, doing multiple camera television, is a unique environment. And I thrive and love that.
0: How have you seen, and I know it's easy to fall back on the TV industry has changed with the streaming services, and no one saw this coming, you know, 40 years ago when you were getting your break and working in, in TV and working in the entertainment industry. But how has streaming changed your role and your job? Because obviously you're still doing work on mainstream broadcast TV. You're still doing stuff on Netflix and other streaming services. Do you think that's made, any, what, what impact has streaming made in your job?
1: It's made, it's, it's got, it's, well, obviously provides a lot more work out there one level. On the other level, it provides, it, it's diminished the work to a degree because let, let's say like Iglesias has got 10 episodes. Used to get show shows, your network shows would get 22 in a season. And so now if a show's got 10 and then it's got 10 episodes and it might wait another six, eight months before they decide even whether they're going to order another 10, that puts a lot more Irregularity into the, in the situation, um, whatever the product is going to, doesn't really you know your directing style or what you do or how you work with the actors or how you work with the crew, managing the crew, that that doesn't change. The streaming doesn't matter. I mean, you know, you do a show, I do a show for Disney. I'm doing a show for Disney. It's going to air on the Disney Channel. That's great. I'm not changing very much much what I'm doing as if I was doing it for a network, or I'm doing it for Netflix. The actual show I'm doing, I'm trying to get the best show, the best jokes, trying to try to ha- the best comedy I can find and deliver that then. And then to me, it really doesn't matter where it's going. It affects how much money you make as well because obviously the major networks are still where you get the most money.
0: You mentioned this um, during one of my previous questions, and your resume is full of experiences working on comedies. Comedies present a challenge because people want, when you watch a comedy, it's almost like there's an assumed level of, of, of funny and humor. And you're watching this to get entertained, maybe take a break from your daily life. What is it about the comedy genre that really has appealed to you during your career? Well, it's
1: not just the comedy genre; it's also, for me, the multiple-camera
0: sitcom genre.
1: Because the first thing is, it combines theater and television. Because the, the, the first three days, you're primarily rehearsing with the cast, and the writers are coming in, and there's changes are happening. But the first three days, you're actually you have a cast, and you're just working on staging this play you just and so it's you and the cat. and then at the end of the day you'll have a run through the writer producers will come down one day the network will come down and they watch what they're doing and they give you notes and they'll sometimes things will change they'll try to make things funnier and that process goes on and then when the cameras come in your camera blocking you pre-shoot and then the night of the show an audience comes in and you do this in front of a live audience so That's another thing that like if you're doing a single camera comedy, there's no there's no people think it's a laugh track. But most of the shows I've done in my career have had a live audience. So they're really people laughing and they're really laughing at the jokes if they think it's funny. And that rhythm affects the actors, how long they have to wait, how they interplay. They they start to interplay with the audience as well as each other. So that's another element that comes in and uh, it just it's like a wild card i always call it the ever how many people the 200 person generator that just comes in and it's giving you a whole nother energy to the to what's happening on the stage so it's a very unique way of working it's a combination of theater you know directing a play in a the theater you get the actors and you direct you work you work you work and then finally you have your, your your opening your before you're opening your pre-shows and you open it in at that point you hand it over once the director's done a theater piece And it starts running. The actors are doing the show. You know, you can come watch it. You can maybe give some some notes after a performance down the road, but it's out of your hands. In this case, I've rehearsed it for three days. The cameras come in, even in the night when you're shooting it. Lines can change. Things can change. It's all changing the whole way through. And then you have an audience there and then you have all this energy. And it's just uh, it's. It
0: could be controlled chaos, I suppose. But <laughs> it's, it's not really. It's fun. How do you know that your vision has come, your, your work as a director, your vision, your, your efforts with the talent, with the writing, with everything that goes into a show? How do you know that what you've done is successful?
1: Well, obviously, the first way is if they ask you back. <laughs> <laughs> the number one way is if they, but you can tell, you can tell when you are working with a cast and you can tell when you. Sell an idea or not, or you can tell when an actor is having trouble with something or understanding something, and you give them something to make it funny or so they understand it, and then maybe that'll lead to something else because you, these are v- v- hottie trained. Profet, profet. That's the other thing, you know, when you're doing sitcom comedies, the actors you're working with are all really top notch actors. You know, it's not like I'm doing a little theater piece with. Some people, someone who'll be great, one who won't. By the time they're doing television, usually they're very talented, very seasoned. And so a lot of the times you're just there to try to something they don't understand or the way they're doing something. You say, you know what? Now that's funny, but maybe if you try this and they'll go, oh, oh, now I like that. And then that will, now if that happens out and the other one say, well, you do that, then this will happen. It, it becomes a, a chain of events that can happen just by a little seed that you plant or, or something like that. So that's when you know, when you have that interplay with them and they trust you and you trust them and you can make things funnier. Or when the producers come down for run through and they go, now, that's really funny. You know, we I didn't really see that like that. But the way this is working now, that's really funny. So you get that feedback. So you do know. But like I said,
0: you know, if they ask you back, that's a huge one. (laughs) What makes you want to give back to the students out here in Los Angeles? I know that you're heavily involved as much as you can with different events that are being run out here. There's a Syracuse University Los Angeles semester students who get such a great hands on experience out here. Why? Why do you want to get involved and give back to our students?
1: Well, number one, when I came out here, that didn't exist. And I, I think that or if it did. I didn't have time to really get involved in it because I was sort of I, I just had to hit the ground running. You know, I just had to try to find some some jobs uh, in the business or out of the business. Um, so I appreciate the fact that it exists now. I think it's important. I've been to I, uh, alumni functions over time when I got involved in the in later 70s, early 80s. And to see it grow, to realize the size of the alumni community here in Southern California—not just Los Angeles, but Southern California—it's a huge base of people. Um, and I feel that you know the university was was very good to me. Uh, you know, I had teachers that were very good to me. The environment was just the one I needed to come from where I my, my town of Scranton and then to be around in Syracuse much large university, a lot of people from New York, a lot of people from a lot of places. It was it was just such a great ground for me uh, to learn in that I feel I, I, I want to give back. I have to give back. I feel I owe some things to the university.
0: What about advice when students come up to you, if you're at a panel event, if you're getting reached out to from someone that drops you an email or a phone call, what advice do you give students who are looking to crack into this industry?
1: Just keep going. Don't get frustrated. Just keep going. If you have, it takes a while. It takes a while. I mean, you know, there's people that come here in many phases and facets and they hit it right away. That's rare though. So that's one thing I tell them. (laughs) One thing I always tell them, and some people may disagree with me or not, but you're nobody in this business until you've been fired. Firing is a part of life. Getting fired in this business, I think in probably most business, but definitely in this business, somebody's not gonna like the way you work. You can't please everybody. So you have to take that in and you have to learn and you have to move on. Developing your own style of work as a director, as an actor, you can take a million acting classes you can take. There's a million people, books you can read on directing. There is a million books you can read on production. There's a million books you can read on running a crew of people. Are you the guy who's gonna be the yeller and the dominant guy? Are you gonna be the guy who's more theoretically more patient, more organized, better communicator? There's many different ways to go about doing something. You have to develop your style. And part of that, that that's and part of that sometimes means you got fired. Part of that <laughs> means somebody wanted a different style. You know, and, and so it's always about absor- getting all the feedback, absorbing it, digesting and taking the parts that you can really use,
0: making your game better. Well, we've had the pleasure here on the Q's Conversations podcast of talking with Lenny Garner. So we call you Lenny or Leonard for the rest of it. Well, everybody calls me Lenny. I'm just telling you. But if you are looking me up, it's Leonard R. Garner, Jr. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.